Hey, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hi. Hey. Glad to be here. Yes. Um, I'm Jonah, joined by Brad and Stephen. Stephen Grywalski, not to be confused with Stephen Smith, who is... Not here right now. Not here. So he, Steve was, Finn Gr- he, he was. He was. He snuck in. Yeah. I gotta. Hey. F- I gotta fill the Steve quote. Yeah. We need hanging a, around. We need a Steve. Uh, yeah. There's really bad traffic today, so unfortunately, Stephen couldn't make it. But uh, he'll be back soon. Uh, today on the podcast, um, we have Frank Carter, um, who currently is the frontman of Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. You may also know him from his being the singer of Gallows and Pure Love, and. Uh, Frank is also a very accomplished tattoo artist, and uh, just to get out of the way, uh, his latest album, Modern Ruin, came out in January on International Death Cult, and you can get it. Um, and yeah, Frank came by. I actually had never met Frank before, but you know Jim Carroll from Pure Love has been the podcast. is a good friend. Played in United Nations briefly, and Frank's awesome. This, this totally. is a good one. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're glad you're here. Yeah. Great band names, too. Yeah, really good <laughs> yeah. band names. I mean... So good. I agree. Um, yeah, and he was here, uh, and I feel like he got really, he got pretty deep, pretty personal. Um, Frank was very open with us, and I think it, it ended up making it this a really, really good interview. So, um, yeah, I think that's all we really need to say. What do you guys think? I, I got nothing else. I got no yeah. color to add. I just thought it was great. Yeah. Didn't, know, didn't really know of him and learned a lot. Yeah. Loved it. Yes, this is a great one, and let's just get straight into it. Um, Let's check out this interview with Frank Carter. Jonah, I can't believe we all have mustaches right now. It's great. Feels so good. Do you trim yours back? I trimmed mine today for the first time. You have a mustache that would drive me crazy. Yeah. It's too far in the lip. Yeah, I like it. I like. I don't. I like it over the lip. If it's too short, then it feels. It makes my lips feel. I don't know. Do you play with it though in inappropriate times? No, but I noticed I was visiting my parents this week, and my dad has the exact same mustache. Uh-oh. He does. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the first step. I know. I know. <laughs> I was like, I, I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think this this mustache is cool. And then I went home, and I was like, oh, I just look like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just gonna happen anyway, right? So. Is it okay to just acquiesce? Is it? Yes? I'm, is de- it? <laughs> I'm desperately trying for that not to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like sometimes the older I get and I see these little things like peeking out. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Like, fuck it. I should just stop fighting it. Yeah. Because like, no, it's just going to keep creeping. No way, dude. I'm like shaving my ears like the inside <laughs> of my fucking nose. I'm I know. Like, no chance. Dad. That'll sneak up on you. Yeah. Not are you happening. are you living in the UK or the yeah, states right I'm now? In the UK, yeah. yeah, yeah. Been there for like because I was here for almost five years, I think. Okay. And then when I left here, we were we were gonna buy in the, like in London. Okay. And it just for what we could get out in the country, there was an actual real house. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Not like a one bed shoebox. So we we were gonna have a kid. So that was it. Like straight out to the green fields of Hertfordshire. Okay. It's perfect, man. I love and it. I actually know this yeah. place well yeah. because of a mutual friend, Ian Perkins, yes. who plays in Gaslight. And it's funny you brought that up because it's a long running joke with Ian that, like, everywhere in the world is basically a piece of shit to him, yeah. besides for like the 30 minute radius. <laughs> Of that area, you know, like he's yeah, he's. I, I think he's the only person there. He's that feels so pro, <laughs> yeah, Hertfordshire. He, he really like, loves it, yeah. Um, but it is beautiful out there. I mean, like we go to his parents' house who mm. host dinner, and there's like literally, I mean, straw thatched like yeah. roof, like garden in the back, just so much green, and like it, it is beautiful. It's weird for me because it's like it's kind of the center of your universe you know where you grew up that's Mm -hmm. that's my hometown that we've moved back to so it felt a bit weird going full circle ending up back there but it's too good not to we got like such a nice place and it's two stops on the train and you're in central london so but it's 30 miles away right so it's like kind of the dream you know like yeah fresh air there's a river at the end of my street you know my (laughs) kid loves it um 
for then when they call, I can be at work in 25 minutes. So. And you got family around there? Yeah, like my whole family still lives there within like 10 minutes of my mum. I did something <laughs> She's really... like in the center. You know? Perfect. I did something really embarrassing out there that people, you will, you will enjoy this. <laughs> uh, I was doing a story on Jimmy World, it's like 15 years ago, yeah. and I took the tube, whatever, they're staying somewhere, and they're like, oh, they changed hotels, they changed air conditioning, take the train to the Gloucester stop. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I took a train to Gloucester, England. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so it, which is like, instead of going like two stops on the subway, it was like going to like... Yeah, two and a half hours New away. Ju- yeah, like another state. Yeah. And I got there and I called and they're like, we're across the McDonald's. I was like, I just see like a castle and it took a really long time to get... And I was so late. But it was, it was confusing. I'd never been to England before. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's the place yeah. I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, hey. Why not? You know? It's a story. Yeah, it's, it's a good story. Now it's, yeah. it's very embarrassing. It still is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, that one's rough because I mean, if you were in like Japan or like the Czech Republic, <laughs> it's somewhere with Z's or symbols. Yeah. Where, everyone doesn't words. speak the same language as you. But yeah, that, yeah. like you had a lot of opportunities That's to not true. make that happen. <laughs> that is I true. <laughs> when you were in the states, were you living here? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I lived in. I lived when I first moved here. I lived in Bushwick. Okay. And then I moved up to Greenpoint. Okay. Then I moved down to Carroll Gardens, and then I went home. So it's gotcha. kind of, I kind of did the the natural progression of a yeah. Brooklynite, essentially. Yeah, you did the, like, like really the new gentrification yeah, 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 yeah. tour. Yeah, almost. like, like what, one and a half years in each place. I just crushed down a lifetime into, <laughs> into five years and then went home. But so. it seemed like you guys, I remember when you were doing Pure Love with Jim, I felt mm. like... I was doing yoga with Jim in the morning, and I feel like every week he's like, I'm going to the UK for this Korean thing. I'm, I felt like you guys were over there so much. Probably. Yeah, it was like basically just a, uh, a lot of mismanagement. We just made... Um, I At that point, I felt it was better the devil I knew. Yeah. Um, it turns out it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> Which happens a lot with, with managers and music and stuff. Yeah. Like They had a very different idea of what the band was about than, than their band did yeah and so like realistically what we should have done is just jumped in a van and toured america while we were here relentlessly and instead we played one show in new york yeah for was, the lifetime of that band at saint vitus was that yeah it? yeah, how yeah. Was there? it's it was a great show yeah it was fun and it was just so disappointing at the same time because it's just like we you know we we by that point we'd started setting up things ourselves because we realized like they just weren't on board in the same way and um it was too late. It was already too late. You know, kind of so much against us at that point that we just ended up sort of throwing all in the mix and getting like enough money out of a label just to go and do some demos. So we got to record with Chris Goss, and that was basically all we wanted was just like a weekend away with Chris. <laughs> like, <laughs> but we had to do it in New York, so he came. He came to Brooklyn, and we got got a few songs out of it. So it's it's a shame because like now I've got that much better management. Yeah, who actually like appreciate. Um, like who I am as an artist, and they they understand probably that band particularly better than any other band I've been in. Um, but it's just, but we're working on something new now. So it's who knows what the future holds. You know, like, I'm gonna see Jim while I'm in town, and we'll chat, and and hopefully there's more to come for that band down the line. But um, this time I'll be prepared. This time I'll have an actual plan. You know, Definitely. was it was it one of those deals with the management where they were kind of, you know, scaring you into like coming back to England. Like, if you don't do this interview, it all falls apart. Like that type of thing. Or yes, no. It was more that that was it was just all we had. So we were trying, and Jim and I knew like we're not scared of working hard. He's been in bands his whole life, so have I. So it was just a case of the only opportunities we had were there, mm-hmm. and there was just a real block on America for us for whatever reason, which is crazy, but because. We both lived here, and he's toured here for, right. you know, for such a long time. Totally, um, but it just it just didn't feel like we could step through the way that we needed to, which was just like we should just countless times we should have just got in the van and just driven and just played shows. Yeah, um, but we just for whatever reason it just didn't work out. And you know, the deal that we got was like from a uk label it basically right from the start of that band to the finish it was just a catalog of of problems a catalog of errors and the good stuff happened right at the beginning and right at the end in that like we wrote some great songs we got a really good deal um we, we actually got some money to live off for quite a while but then we were 
working in the UK. So we were just so we were burning this money, just flying there all the time. And then right at the end, we got a second win and we started writing some really great music. But by that point, the damage was done. And that, I think, is when we opened our eyes and the reality of, of how mismanaged the situation had been was very clear. And it was at that point that we were just like, okay, sometimes you've got to know when to cut your losses. Because otherwise, if, if we don't at this point, the only people that suffer are us. Mm. And this is gonna, we're going to have debt in a few years that is insurmountable and we can't get out of so so you want to like stay ahead of it yeah which is kind of what i've done in my career throughout like i i feel like i've always left the band before like before it's truly imploded you know like and um not that i'm saying that that's you know happened to anyone else (laughs) but like you know i just all my ex-girlfriends are lesbians now man all of them (laughs) i just you know i've always tried to be a one head one step ahead of the the crash yeah and um it's why i'm still doing this definitely i mean how did this kind of the solo stuff come about like after the pure love thing i mean did you were you disillusioned for a while did you want to start something else up right away were you tattooing a lot i I basically quit music when when pure love finished that was what i said to jim i was gonna have i had a baby on the way um you know we just moved home and i just said that i couldn't comprehend getting going out and touring and stuff you know so i just focused on on tattooing i was just my whole heart was in providing some security and stability for my family this like blossoming family that i was having and that year like it kind of started with it started with getting pregnant and it was like a really beautiful thing and then my wife's father passed away like a month after that which was just incredibly tragic and really traumatic and then two weeks after that we'd already scheduled our like last tour as pure love so jim had to fly over and we went and did that tour and it was really emotional and it was like quite intense you Mm. know because there was a lot of support from people in the uk and then a few months after that like i lost my job in the tattoo shop that i'd worked at for 10 years and my wife lost hers too and it was because the reason they'd given was because i had spent too much time on tour and i was like dude i'm here i'm here now like i get it but i'm like i'm grafting i was working like six days a week and and i just i feel like there was maybe a resentment there that had been building that i hadn't seen Mm. and then it just when i was back full time the fact that i was just there all the time that resentment it didn't it didn't go it it grew you know it was like we can deal with you when you're kind of in and out. Because you were at that shop all through gallows and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like I would come off tour and I would just go and t- tattoo a bit and then I'd leave. And like I think a lot of people, they don't like that. They just, you know, tattoos don't really like that. There's um, a lot of territorialism too in like the tattoo world, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And there, but it's also like, a, you know, I think ultimately, I can't speak for anyone, but I think like if if... If they could do anything else, they probably would do what I do because it's really fun. It's super easy, and, it's, and you know <laughs> you can work two jobs, and it's great. Like, yeah, yeah. But a lot of a lot of tattoos just have tattooing, and so and a lot of tattooers are incredibly passionate about tattooing, and they think that there's a definitive set way to do things. Sure. Which, like, I can appreciate and respect, but I disagree. Like, I I, I think there's all kinds of different ways to do things, and I I, I can only live life the way that I can live life. Sure. So at the end of that year, I was like, wow, here I am, fucked, I've got nothing, I'm trying to work, and I'm miserable because of it. And then my daughter was born, and it was like a truly, like, you know, sort of momentous occasion. It's like, changes your whole life. And a week later, I said to my wife, like, "Um, I think I, I really need to start another band. (laughs) Is that okay and she was like so overwhelmingly supportive about it that she just that that gave me the confidence and probably like the bravery to to pursue it as fervently as i did which was really like in in, intense like we i called dean the guitarist in like december and he was away and he said yeah i'll be back in february but like in the meantime i'll send you some music and 
he did and I was like this is exactly what I had in my head like this is just you know it just sometimes it just works and then with him and I the minute we got in a room together it was very clear that we it was like when I met Jim like we just had a an understanding and a respect for each other it's hard to find that but when you find that in like-minded musicians things can happen very quickly um and so that band was always supposed, Rattlesnakes was always supposed to be just like a bit of fun to blow off some steam. Um, but like most things in life, like it didn't, didn't work out like that. <laughs> it's, and it's, and I'm really glad because you know, I'm here in New York, like city I love. I'm getting to talk to people about my music and it's building, it's growing now. So yeah. 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 How have the shows been? Intense. The West Coast ones are pretty crazy. Yeah. Pretty intense. Like, it, I've, I'm older now and it's like I don't heal as quick as I used to <laughs> so I'm trying to be sensitive to that issue but at the same time like we're unhinged punk rock band like so things happen and yeah we walked out on stage in LA and it, it was just it, it was kind of overwhelming because it's the same feeling I got when we played Australia just before Christmas like we did four shows there and they all sold out and it, and it it was just that's just mental to me still you know i understand that i've been playing music for a long time but to be on the opposite side of the world and playing like it's different from someone just listening to your record you know mm-hmm. when you're there and you're playing and you're seeing how passionate people are about your music and you you understand then this has connected like does it feel different somehow because of your age and the, the things that have happened from from a to b then because the gallows kind of had a, a quick and meteoric rise yeah you know um where and i saw some of those early shows where people were going pretty fucking ape shit especially yeah. in the uk yeah, yeah. like is is something what's different about what's happening now than than what happened then to you um it's it's much more considered from from my perspective mm-hmm. um and i have a huge level of respect for the situation that i'm in now which is something i never had before anybody that knew me back then will will understand that i was just like fairly nihilistic and quite an obnoxious arrogant little prick um but also that was, that was coming from like a place of just deep insecurity sure you know i just wasn't I wasn't equipped for the situation I was in. I felt like a bit of a fraud. And that was really difficult to deal with at 21, like having loads of money thrown at you. It's funny because I was like, I was talking to Dean yesterday because we're out for five weeks and that's like, feels like a bit of a long tour for me when you've got a kid. And then I was looking at my social security number and I found like a, an email from like my manager in 2008 and it was like, yeah, you could, this is your schedule. And it was like the 1st of March till the 17th of September. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, that was, that I've scaled it down. That's like five months or something. Shit. You didn't like, even think uh, twice about it then? No, yeah, we just yeah. did it and it was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was good fun. I mean, it wasn't. It was mental and a total mindfuck. And it was, the whole situation was insane. But um, like in that time, we went to Europe twice, America twice. And toured the UK twice in like this, you know, yeah, yeah. insane. So it's, um, yeah, it's. I just think nowadays, like, I've got a much greater appreciation of the situation. And so we're taking things much more carefully. And um, we're just more, we're just much more respectful of everything, of all the opportunities, you know, because back then I just didn't give a shit. It's great you have that chance again. Exactly, man. Like, and it's important because you know back then I didn't understand what I had, and I think not many How people can you do. I mean, yeah, when yeah, you you're can't young, blame yourself, yeah. it just doesn't feel real. And if it's any consolation, <clears throat> I remember meeting you guys for the first time, and you know you had a reputation, mm. you know, just because of what you said and like the yeah. shows and stuff like that. I was like, all right, here we go. Yeah, and we can be like a chippy group sometimes you know yeah. if someone's like a dick yeah. so i was like uh-oh like and then i'm like 
this guy's lovely. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, I'm like, this guy really yeah. seemed, I mean, he's so yeah. nice. I, I don't know. I didn't get that at all. If, if that's any consolation. Good. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I remember when Gallows, when Gallows signed, it was sort of like all this talk of like, this is sort of the last band to sort of get like this big sort of deal mm. with like this type of money, this kind of enthusiasm. Mm. Did you get to like, buy anything crazy that you still had? like did you buy like a lamborghini or anything no. crazy because i feel like i would have instantly done that no i was um no and the problem was again mismanagement gotcha so what i did do is i learned a load of really expensive lessons about how you don't pool your publishing money together gotcha to fund your band for five years because oh. that essentially just leaves everybody in debt to you like to me oh. um so there was like loads of so no, I didn't get the Lamborghini. <laughs> Other people did, kind yeah, of. Yeah. Wait, so um, how did you arrange that with publishing? I don't know if it's right to get into it oh, okay. here. Do you Fair know enough. what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just like imagine, like if you gave like a toddler um, a publishing deal <laughs> and a contract and like marker pens, and you just said make the contract you want, and they did, they scribble and took a shit on it, and then you signed it. That's pretty close. That's good illustration. Yeah. It was just fucking ridiculous. And um but what I did do is when I realized what was happening, um we had like a little me and my brother had a little bit of money left. Like when I say a little bit, we had a lot we had like thirty grand each left, which is a, a that's a sizable amount of money to ever have had. We should have had like ten times more than that. Yeah. But we didn't. We had this little amount and so I called him and I said, like, explain the situation and said, like, we're fucked, like, we've got no money, we need to do something with this now, otherwise, because this is our lot. So we bought my mum's house for her, and that's that's oh, what, nice. that was the, the Lamborghini was, we just bought the my mum's house for her, so she didn't have to worry about the mortgage anymore. And that, at that point, that was, like, the best, still is probably the best decision I've ever made with any money that I've ever had. It must be a great feeling. So, yeah, she, yeah, she's pretty pumped, like... yeah. You know, she it took a lot of stress off her because at the point, like, my, you know, her and my, my dad had split up a few years earlier and it was just, she didn't really know how she was going to pay for it. So, it, you know, it just it just made sense. But it, it what it meant was that going forwards now, like, I, I received my publishing money, yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. So hope, in the hope that one day I could buy a Lamborghini, do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> or another house or something. Do you shit. think in, like, retrospect, if... Like the first Gallows record was just, you know, successful mm. and good rather than like a huge thing that really like threw you guys out there pretty mm. fast. Do you think, I mean, there's the potential that that's something that could still be happening? Was, was, was it really like the business that like broke up that band? Um, n n yes and no. Like, I think it's a complicated situation and there's loads of... There's so many different branches to it, you know? And the real difficulty is that the business side of it wasn't wasn't good. It wasn't handled particularly well, I don't think. And I've spoken to that, about that with the people that were involved. But the people in the band, we were all, like, vastly different characters. Mm -hmm. And probably like considerably too young to deal with the situation that we're in like most young bands they kind of implode at some point because you just you do some stupid shit as a kid but everybody's looking at you and you've got loads of money so you're doing the stupid shit in an expensive car that you can't you know like it there's just it was just a situation that was just too out of control on so many levels like the one good thing they did was just pack us off they just sent us on tour relentlessly so we had no real money to we had no time to spend money we were just constantly working you know but that meant that it established our band faster world globally than right. any band was able to but that was also like the money that we were supposed to have to live off like yeah. was just being thrown in and stupid shit you know like we were touring the entire us in a bus on our own you know not sharing like i'm here now for five weeks and we're doing a bus show with a band because it's the only way we can make it work i'm still losing money right. but that's just the reality of the situation the drives on this tour that we've got coming up are insane like played tampa one day and then kentucky the next like <laughs> 
cheers guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks right. for that so but it's it's real like it's and this is the opportunity i've been given so i'm gonna make the most of it definitely you know? how do you sort of prioritize your time when you're writing for this project obviously i'm sure you're still tattooing you have a family i mean do you have to like set aside mm. a certain amount of time every day to write or how do you what's your kind of process like no we wrote both these albums in 2015 Okay. So we've just been taking breaks since then <laughs> from yeah. writing. Um, we've got the writing coming up again soon. We, we've just started, like Dean and I, writing separately, and then we'll come together with a pool of stuff, and hopefully we'll have a few songs from that that will set the tone for the future. But we wrote everything in kind of from February to March um, and recorded it in April for Blossom, and then released the record in August of the same year and started writing Modern Ruin in September. Okay. And then that was finished in a couple of months and we recorded it in January of 2016 and then we just sat on it for a year because we knew we needed Blossom to go and do work and we needed to go and tour Europe with that. So when people talk to me now about like how different the direction is of the record, you know, and, and what a progression they can see over two years, I'm like, nah, bruv, <laughs> like, that was about three months, like, you know, so just wait until the next one. We're going operatic, you know? Yeah. Tell me, yeah. tell me you've, you've, You've said that to like like some snooty, like a real snooty interviewer who's like yeah. talking very reverentially about how they've explored your sound and totally figured it out, and you got to shoot him down. Yeah, I mean that's it's, happened. I you hope. know, I I appreciate <laughs> being the guy to let people down lightly. So <laughs> it's not 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 something I get to do very often. But yeah, I appreciate that about you. <laughs> I've always had a question. I remember one of the first times I saw you guys. And this is Gallows again. I'm sorry to go back, but I've always wondered about this. You were playing Reading and Leeds, I think maybe headlining lockup stage. Yeah. I think it might have been, Could have been. maybe your first year even doing it, potentially. Yeah. And you had um, a stage amp, uh, you know, an empty uh, yeah, yeah. cabinet. Dummy cab, amp, yeah. And... I think we're intending to like light it on fire and crowd surf it. Yeah. Which I'm sitting on the side of the stage and I'm like, fuck yeah, gallows, <laughs> yeah. into this. Like, yeah. I'm worked up. And then I see you going at it with like a bick. Yeah. And dude. like, no lighter fluid, no oh, nothing. And I'm like, fucking... I'm like, what's homie expecting to happen here? Yeah. Like, that's not going to catch on fire. I've yeah. lit a lot of things on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? So, what was going on soaked. there? I've never been able to ask you. Everything had been soaked. Oh. I like soaked. I poured, like, I came on stage like five minutes before we played with a bottle of lighter fluid and okay. just soaked it all. And was just like, this is going to go up in the yeah. tent. This is going to be sick. Like, <laughs> everyone's going to be pissed. And what I didn't realize had happened is as soon as I'd walked off, a stage manager had watched me do that and had just taken a fire extinguisher no. and just gone... Oh. <laughs> just like, basically... So I'm up there and everything's still dripping and I'm like, yeah, this is going to need one click and just now it's going to go up. Oh. And I'm like, click, and it was actually... click, click, and nothing. And, I, and so then I just threw it in the crowd. Yeah. But then the best part was that it kind of <laughs> caught on fire because someone texted me a picture of it in a bonfire in a campsite. Like, oh, thanks for right. the amp. It they makes got a it sick bonfire. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> just say it. it caught light, but just eight hours after it was supposed to. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess in retrospect, that stage manager was... Totally he was doing, doing a really, really good thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, it, I mean, essentially, that was a really dangerous situation. He may situation. have saved lives. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 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 But the, and the whole reason was because of that was because we were like a punk band yeah. in my mind. And I was just like... And I walked out and I didn't realize that they'd spent all this money on dummy caps. And I was like, this is bullshit. We're not Slayer. Like, what right. the fuck are these things? Like, this is... Unless, unless they work, why are they here? You know? And they were like, it looks cool. And I was like, it looks like shit. Like, we, who gives a fuck? They're not even mic'd up. Like, everyone yeah. can tell, do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So, that's, so then I just kicked the shit out of them. Which was fun. Like, it was, you know, <laughs> good fun throwing around some... They're still heavy. They're still really heavy. <laughs> yeah. still peasy. I worked in a metal, guy, you know? metal tour and every band had so many. I was like, why, does, why do you guys have them? They're like, because everyone else does. Like, we can't be the only band out there that yeah. doesn't have scrims. And like, I wanted to be, that's the thing. I wanted to be the only band that didn't. And then I walked out and I was like, God damn it, you betrayed me. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. It's hard to keep punk rock in those environments. Yeah, yeah. Know? Now I'm like, 
Now I think about punk rock very differently in that, like, I think as long as I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, that's exactly. punk rock. Like, so I wear a suit on stage and we have, like, white backline now. And, you know, and on our next tour, we're probably not going to have a backline at all because I want to build a stage set to play in. Cool. Because just fucking, why not? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I want to build, I want, I, you know, you go, you see Drake and you see Justin Bieber and you think, well, yes. Yeah, awesome like because you're a pop star you can have a fucking planet in the middle of your stage but like i don't have a lot of money but i can build shit so why the fuck don't i just build some cool shit to play in like we have a song called neon rust which is about the apocalypse like so that's you know december our december tour in the uk i'm just gonna build like a wasteland it's gonna look like really? terminate yeah fuck cool. it why not i'll just make it myself I love it. probably won't pass like health and safety standards, but <laughs> I'll just make sure I've got the same stage manager. Yeah, like, careful. Don't worry, he soaked everything. It's <laughs> yeah, We're all good. Awesome. <laughs> Benny builds furniture, maybe he could help you out. Boom. Done. Yeah, yeah, hook you Come up. over, stay with Ian's parents. You need and... a couple big cuts, we'll yeah. figure it out. <laughs> yeah, no problem. He needs you to destroy the furniture. So yeah. he, needs. he needs you to destroy it. Well, I mean, I think uh, an understanding of building it helps you <laughs> destroy <laughs> it more functionally. Sure. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you find that like, you know, you're talking about writing with creativity and I was wondering if your creativity with writing music and how you're feeling at the time with like your art and tattooing, if like the creativity comes in an overall wave that's like music and tattooing or if it's like separate, exclusive from each other. They, they kind of feed off each other because I, I write a lot when I'm writing music, so I don't just write like a paragraph for a, for a verse or whatever i write like a whole story and then like a really weird deranged story that has loads of characters in it and some make it in and some don't and that's always how i've written mm. and then when i get to the releasing of the lyrics i just put the lyrics out and i burn the rest and this time around like we used all of those extended lyrics in a book format of the of this of the album mm. so that we could basically just sell a new you know sell the album to people in different ways because yeah. people don't buy music so we wanted to make it f them feel like they had like a really intimate portrayal of the band that helped them with their understanding and kind of got everyone up to speed so so when you kind of look at it like that here i have all of these stories and I, and from that then i'll probably do like paintings and stuff just sub subconsciously you know yeah. and then so like some of the characters in the story begin to like make their way onto paper and then and then i'm like thinking well this would make a great tattoo so let's go and tattoo it like that Hi, like everybody's got their like sort of vision of what like depression would be do you know what i mean it's normally like the black dog people call it the their black dog or whatever and mine has always been hyenas like huh. gibbering laughing like and so I paint them all the time and now I started tattooing them on people. So I think when you know, when you talk about it as waves, like I kind of, that's kind of what you do as an artist your whole life. You're just constantly riding waves, trying to keep afloat. Mm -hmm. And every now and again you get a good wave and you just gotta like ride that wave as much as you can. And for me, I'm like dealing with just rolling waves of like there's an art wave like cool i'm gonna swim over to that and see if i can hold on to that for a bit and then oh here's a bigger music wave so i'll go and swim that way and so i've just been bouncing between and trying to catch the best wave of my life like constantly cool. I, I feel it's exhausting it, it is <laughs> and i feel like you always have to remember too there's like another way like i always yeah. feel like oh i miss that wave and then i'm like okay there's another one coming exactly. like don't obsess about this one yeah yeah the sea is never like silent for long you yeah know, there's always there's always something about but it's happen. scary when the sea is silent yeah and it's and scary when the moving. sea is rough you know yeah. so it's like you never really know but you just gotta remember like storms don't last like they pass you know storm clouds pass so you just that that's kind of no matter how bad the situation gets like or how good the situation gets i'm always aware to try and just enjoy whatever moment i'm in no matter how bleak or how positive it is because it will go and then there'll be something new to come so if you just try and make the best out of everything you've got going on like which this week has been a test it's been pretty brutal for us like we arrived in la and like our tour manager quit like didn't even make it out oh, on shit. day one so and when we got into it 
we tried to get into it with him, but he's just ghosted all of us, so we haven't heard from him. Whoa. He's just done no work. So, like, all, none of the tour is advanced. So my friend has had to step in, and he's just, like, picking up the pieces, but he's calling me every day, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, who, did you get the baby that wrote your publishing contract to advance your tour? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think I fucking did, you know? So, so it's just, just shows just, book, you know, and nothing, 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 done nothing is wow. done. Like, literally nothing is That's done. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And no so, word. Nothing. Totally... No, no, and I, and I called him and I said, look, because he basically just messaged us and said, like, I, I've got severe anxiety, it's with a heavy heart, I can't do the tour. And I was like, me too, but I'm fucking here. Like, yeah. I got a fucking two-year-old. Like, get out here. Like, and so then, like, I give him a day, and then I called him and said, like, and just left a voicemail. Like, I get it. Like, I I appreciate, and I don't want you to do the tour if you if if you can't. Like, I understand it, but like, at least help us find someone. You've got a responsibility, or at least send over what the work you have done. But nothing. Yeah. So so it's just been. It's just like of all the ways to start a tour like that's not the one you want and it's the longest tour we've ever done there's a lot of moving parts we're hemorrhaging money you know so i'm still like well this is this is not gonna stay <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. this will go and this like we'll ride this wave it's gonna i mean the tour will be over in five weeks so even if it's bad every day it's five weeks you know? <laughs> well sometimes <laughs> it's, it's, end. sometimes it's better well, to get all the bullshit out in front because then it just gets better from there yeah that's right? that's the hope right like yeah so i mean i, I kind of feel that about my career you, on that. you know th third time's the charm <laughs> like <laughs> so we're trying to you know we're trying to ride the wave so is it hard for you to like give up control to like other people like do you because i feel like sometimes with stuff like that you're like i want to do everything to make sure it gets done like i feel like being mm. in a band you have to depend on so many other people kind of to do their jobs too yeah you do is that difficult for you? Do you because yeah. it seems like you're very self sufficient with your writing and your art and that stuff. Yeah, if it was, if it was just down to me, I think I'd be fine. But it's not. There's a lot of people involved, and and there's a lot of people involved because I can't do it all on my own. Like we just, right. no matter how much I'd want to, and also like I'm not the best person. I can fix this a problem, but there are other people that just have the instructions. So let them deal with that you know mm. um so for me yeah it's it's not been e an easy task but it's about finding the right luckily we've got a pretty good team in place and regardless of the fact that we we've been let down by this guy who we did choose you know um you learn your lessons and next time we just will just make sure that we know who we know who's coming you know like we know who to expect we'd never worked with this guy before this is the first time so and it's because our our guy back home couldn't his visa didn't come through mm. so he's he's been kind of like half advancing the tour from home now going like jesus i'm sorry like and he's he's taking all on his shoulders but it's just nothing it's not his fault you know it's no one's fault yeah. it's just it's just a situation that's happened that we're dealing with the best way we can and ultimately like like i was in i was in sf the other day and i was in the hotel and I was, like, freaking out, and I've been having, like, a fucking 48-hour anxiety attack, you know, because as calm as I'm sitting here telling you guys, like, yeah, you just ride the wave, like, <laughs> more often than not, like, I'm drowning in the sea, in a sea of shit, you know, like, so, like, I'm there, and I'm, Takes like... Takes a minute to get enlightened. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'm, I'm there, and I'm, like, in the room, and then I just remembered, like, oh, you get... No, you're just gonna go and play a gig. It's all right. Just go and... Like and I was like in the in the mirror like yeah you love playing music like <laughs> this is gonna be fun go and play a gig have fun I'll see you in a minute you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so it's like so you then you just go and you do your thing and you play and it was super loud and super hot and there was loads of people it was like we played Gilman nice. so it's like a pretty legendary venue yes. you know definitely want to sort of tick off if you've I've played a lot of legendary venues all over the world and that was one i'd never got to so see it, i know i'm it, still it's still on my list we played yeah. it once as i awesome. forgot to do it yeah it's it's a great room you know you get there benny yeah one day yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone <laughs> i don't know brad you feel like starting up a band again yeah yeah, <laughs> oh, good. I played Gilman already, though. Okay. Everyone, everyone else has played one. Gilman, Benny. <laughs> Fuck me. You'll get there. I quit. <laughs> this sucks. I've never, I've never played probably most of the places you played. No. No. 
Me either. Sucks. You'll get there one day. <laughs> I definitely won't. <laughs> I think the odds of you playing Gilman are much higher. Mm. Do, do you, uh, Frank? Do you still listen to like a lot of heavier music, or what kind of stuff do you listen to? Kind of insp- get inspired. I listen to um, kind of exclusively uh, Ennio Morricone at the minute. Okay. Like, I don't know nice. why. I just yeah, just got in a because um, I've been writing a load of like stories, like loads and like. I've got like four or five novels that I've been working on for like years, uh-huh. for like five or six years that I'll like remember that they exist and then I'll dive back in. And one in particular is like just this kind of epic that I, whenever I've had time, I, I've written a bit. And that is just the only thing that doesn't really trip me up. Like heavy music, as a singer, I like focus way too heavily on the on lyrics and like I just listen and that, naturally just is has a bad influence on whatever i'm writing you know Mm. so i try and find music it was always when i was living here i was painting a lot and the same thing happened like if i was listening to stuff that had too much lyrical content i would sneak into the painting Mm. so i just would listen to like sleep (laughs) like all the time because it was just super heavy and droney and at like four in the morning it's kind of what you need to just it becomes meditative and with like any other like the the difference is that it takes like each song is a bit of a journey and it's like really you know can be pretty it can make any situation better like i was on the plane yesterday and this like 75 year old dude dropped like a a glass of coke and ice all over my lap and i'm like sitting there listening to like a fistful of dollars like with a smile on my face just writing (laughs) it's all good like an old man in my story just got stabbed to death but it's all good you know like it's fine so it was um yeah it's like that's kind of where does one start with Enya? I wouldn't even know where to begin. You gotta get Enya, the, yeah. uh, the 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 spaghetti western stuff. There's like three uh, three. It's amazing. It's ama- It's funny you're listening to it on the plane because that's where mm. I listen to. Yeah, it. it's, it's you put on the so headphones good. and you just oh man, it's it's amazing. Wow, shit. It sounds like a real journey. I'll Joni, you, you've um, never done this. You're never, into all no, that never. space. I'm shit, going no? to now. For I'll sure. ping you a uh, a playlist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Enya, That'd my be Marconi awesome. Send that over. I love it. It's yeah. really good. I mean, but, you know, it's like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and fistful of dollars and stuff like that. But even songs from um, like Leon, like the professional. I don't. Oh, it's yeah. called oh, the professional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like even stuff like that, like Chime. Like there are songs on there that you would have heard countless, countless times. But you, you just, it's different when you take it out of the you know the, the context of a film or whatever and you're just in a plane or you're in the van or you're having like an anxiety attack or you're like buzzing off life like it's just a really good soundtrack to, to living yeah. I think you know and it's like super classic but it can be applied really really beautifully to whatever situation you're and it's in. never been imitated like successfully no. it's just the arrangements and the instrumentation and you know something really interesting about it is that um that I found out at, long after I got really started getting into it was that the director Sergio Leone, who was did all those films, he actually had Morricone write a lot of the music before they filmed it, and he played it on the set. No way. Yeah, so they were like listening to some of that music during some of those like bizarre like yeah, yeah. scenes that they filmed. Mm. Do you ever get into those movies though? Like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? Not so much. Mm. They're pretty intense, but you. But he. But likewise, he did. He's done loads of stuff. He's stepped in and done loads of stuff with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So he's done loads of stuff on Kill Bill and Django Unchained, and you know. So, and it makes perfect sense because you. They're just. I think both the two of them are just incredibly intense individuals that are very <laughs> passionate about their art, and their art is you know writing in different ways. So. Um, that's what I've been listening to lately. Like, and then heavy music. I just love trap them. I can't, yeah. I can't. I just can't get enough of trap them. Yeah. Like, I think I. I think I listened to Damaged Prose like on repeat when I was writing, um, like after Great Britain. Like, I got pretty trapped in some stuff, and and I wrote like a whole record of music that never got released, and it's just incredibly violent and anarchic, and that was from listening to just had damaged prose on repeat pretty much like just <laughs> I was just writing just scrolling shit and but it never made it out, probably for the best like it's pretty pretty violent. Look, <laughs> <laughs> oh I just shrugged that one off guys I don't really know where to go <laughs> it's, like, it's funny hearing it because like 
you know, you, you speak so gently. It's almost mm. like a Patrick Bateman, like American <laughs> Psycho scenario. I'm thinking yeah. here. Like, I some, hope I've got a bit. There's just this like grip on my life world of of just. I mean, yeah. insanity going on on some pages, and and you present yourself but very I, warmly. I feel like people have like. And you might murder me after this, <laughs> apparently. Well, no, no. I think it's like Brett Easton Ellis more than Patrick okay. Bateman. Yeah. Oh, know? I see. Like, the, you know, I'm the, the, the puppet master. Hopefully not the puppet, you know. Are people surprised like, when they find out what you do? Because, like, I, I feel like I'll go to like my yoga studio and I'll be like, oh, you're in a band? I'm like, yeah, it's like a screamo band. And they're like, what? what that, like, yeah. It's like grindy, you know, like yeah. black beats. And they're like, because like, I, yeah. I have, like, have this kind of a mellow... Yeah, I don't know if you guys notice it, <laughs> but I mean, uh, do you feel like people kind of just meet you out or whatever, and like, oh, it's just Frank, whatever, and then they see like videos or whatever, and like, oh my god, well, like we did not see this coming. Yeah, and it, but it happens the other way as well. Like when I meet fans, oh. like because I tattoo a lot of people, and I mostly just tattoo fans of my band and whatever band that may be, and so they always come in and. The first thing is like you're so nice, <laughs> you're so nice in real life, and I, and I sort of feel like they they have this vision of me like in the grocery store, like smashing things up. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> where the fuck sticks. is the popcorn? Like, what the, you know, spitting in the cashier's face and stuff. And I'm like, I am a normal person. And then the second thing they say is like, you're a lot shorter in real life as well. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what yeah. You're yeah. that tattoo just got more expensive. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, exactly. So weird. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. So, yeah. I love that shit, man. Do you um like now that you're back home is there is there a real difference between where you're living and like London as far as like the sort of surging like populism and Brexit type stuff? Is it is it a little more prevalent out out in the country than it is in London? Yeah, I mean, London is one of the most multicultural cities yeah. in the world. You know, um, half cheer, not so much. <laughs> like, but that's kind of the way with with most metropolises. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you go to the main city, and everybody there is probably a little more understanding, a little more sympathetic of other people. Um, because that's naturally where the like-minded congregate. Right. You go out, the further you go, like, people are set in their ways, and they know what they know, and and a lot of it is just conditioning. They've been taught and told that that is the way to, ha- to, to act and behave, and so it's about, in my mind, it's about just trying to recondition, like, and all I can do is worry less about other people and just worry more about what I'm doing. And that involves, like, my kid, you know, yeah. just trying to be a better dad for her um, than than I had. And I had a good dad, you know, like, but I, like, as I get older, I'm thinking, like, okay, well, and he didn't... It's not that he didn't do things or he did do things, it's just I, I need to do things differently because, sure. you know, like, I want her to feel this way about that and feel that way you know so i think we have like a huge responsibility to teach the generations that are coming like acceptance and equality like overall because i think that's the one thing that is just still eating us up but do you get concerned about and and it's something that's prevalent to me right now because i'm living in jersey city Mm. i have a small kid just like you and you know i want to go out to the country and i want to get more space i mean my two biggest hobbies and passions are like drums and woodworking which mm. just sucks in a city see, like yeah. both of them you know yeah. like i need a garage like bad Hell yeah. and but like you know a lot of the places you start going out west around here is closer to where i grew up and it's like some white trash shit and mm. some like kind of ass backward shit and i worry about you know as as good a parents as as we can be the influence that people you go to school with and their parents and stuff are going to have. That's and it, if yeah. I leave the city, like, what's going to happen there? Like, do you have any fears about that? Yeah, of course. Like, all yeah. the time. But I, but I have those same fears, like, in the sea, you know? Like, right. with, you know, what... Ultimately, like, I am entirely... Like, I'm entirely responsible for my daughter and not at all now she's her own she's going to be her own person you know right. no matter, like she's going to be influenced by the things that she's influenced by and and i'm just going to try and do my best and give her the teach her the right 
way I which I think which is probably fucking wrong because I don't know what the fuck <laughs> right. I'm doing half the time you know like sure. none of us yeah. do you yeah. know we're all just kids having kids so you you think at some point you you feel like you're ready and that's when you jump in and you have a kid and then the minute they're born you're like I have yeah. no fucking idea what I'm doing yeah. and I don't forever now like I'm just gonna try and try and keep you alive just stave as, off as much as permanent as, damage yeah as possible. yeah exactly is <laughs> is but I, yeah i feel you like i i get it it's it, i mean no matter where you go though you're gonna have those fears and those influences but yeah i have no idea what is the right way around that but yeah how do you sort of deal with anxiety and that kind of stuff i mean do you do meditation or any sort of how do you sort of stay above not above that stuff but how do you not let it kind of overwhelm you um well yeah i i'm i meditate a fair bit not as much as i should i i i started doing yoga properly when after i met jim he just okay. was constantly on it and we we did it yeah we used to yeah, go to the studio together yeah so he, he kind of brought that into my life how's his form yeah, left it in there. jim's good i mean Strong. he's really tall yeah he's a very good. tall guy yeah. yeah he's a tall guy so i think um but yeah he jim was good we haven't practiced in the studio we went too close Oh, right, it was okay. in Williamsburg. Yeah. Go yoga, R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel, I do a lot of yoga still. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like that definitely helps. Yeah, it's just I guess it's about balance. And for me, like my mind is just constantly on on work. And what it's the one thing I don't like about touring is that like I there's so much time that cannot be spent working but it's just frozen out of my day that nothing else can really happen. Yeah. And it drives me insane. Yeah, I fucking hate it It's too. like, it's really, yeah. really... And especially when you're like hands-on guy that like you want to woodwork or you want to play yeah. drums or you want to write or whatever, like it's difficult to make that work. So that's where Morricone is so good <laughs> because suddenly like a, cent- a middle seat in the center of a plane for on super turbulent ride like jammed in between like two people you put that on and you're immediately transported to like savannah <laughs> do you know what i mean and there's nothing there's an eagle and there's blue skies and there's some blue mountains and you're just like okay i can i can get in this and so that i've done a lot of and um and yeah and but but before i worked that out it was it was medicine. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like like a, a doctor at home just prescribed me loads of pills and I just started taking them and I was like, oh, these have no side effects and are great. I just feel super fuzzy all the time. This is wicked. And then realized just all of the problems of that and had to sort of wean myself off it quite sharply before it became just too much of a problem. So I, I was like straight edge from the age of 16 to 28. So it's a long time to be sober it was all the way through gallows like and from that probably it was for the best because like there were a lot of situations there where just like everything was 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 on hand and i definitely avoided a lot of bad decisions that with my kind of temperament and the sort of person i am probably would have been a lot worse for me than other people but also in doing that there's a fair amount of arrested development that i'm kind of dealing with now Mm. like as in you know you chuck a load of pills at me and i'm going to start taking them and they're going to feel great and i'm like this is easy now touring is easy you know like this is sweet and then all of a sudden you're like holy fuck like I can't function without this shit. So so that's why, like, stuff like... And it's really nice to be able to find that same help in things that you care about, like Morricone, you mm. know? Like, he's he's the pills, so to speak, at the minute. <laughs> like, until I get bored of that, and then I go, you know, back to trap them, probably. <laughs> so, you know, so it's... But for now, it's like, it's... The problem with, like, meditation... And yoga and stuff like that is you need some space. Yeah. And you don't always have it on tour. Like, and I'm an insular person. So, like, what I've been trying to do is find a way to, like, bring everything as close to me as possible. Like, as in myself. Like, my my, my thoughts, my space. Like, be mm. able to live in this seat, you know. But with vastly open mind you know, and a big expanse to play around in. And mm. so I've just been working on loads of different projects. And then when I get home, I'm going to try and buy, like, or try and rent a, a big space, like a big warehouse, um, 
just to make whatever the fuck I need to make in there. And that'll be, that then will become like the anchor that I think has been lacking in my life for a little while. Because I've, I've been getting by, I've been doing well, I've been painting and I've been writing music and, but I've never really had like, we've got a studio in our back garden, but it's just not quite, it's like a little bit bigger than this, but narrower. And it's not, um, it's good, but like my wife is incredibly creative as well. She's a tattooer and an artist and a better singer than me. And so she's needs that space as well. So I think with everything that we've been talking about, like having a, a physical space that you can kind of, that can kind of be that, the re, that physical representation of the madness in your mind, like where mm-hmm. I can just walk from a, a writing desk to a tattoo station, to a painting station, to a music studio and do all of the things that I'm good at and that I love in life. Like, that will hopefully free me up. And just knowing that I have that space, I, I, I'm I hoping is going to be like another weight that lifts a bit, you know? That's cool. Because it, mostly it's just like, I worry about the future. I'm just a more worrier. That's where my anxiety comes from, you know? Like, I worried about this tour before we got out here. I got out here and it all went to shit. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I'm still alive. I got my fucking Jamba Juice and I'm still alive. Like, yeah. it's, you know, like, it, it's all, it's never as bad as as you think it's going to be. But do you run into the opposite of something like that where it's like, I run into this problem where I was, wor- like, take the hypothetical and reverse it. Be like, oh, yeah, I was really nervous about this tour. I was paranoid that something was going to go down. Yeah, then it went down. Yeah. Which means all my paranoia and all that shit was like yeah. totally legitimate. But, so the next time yeah. it happens, I'm probably fucking right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. do you ever run into that? No, thanks for that, Benny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm fucking but terrified. Dude, it's, Someone plays yeah. some Marco. That's fast. almost like it happens twice then because you worry about it. Yeah. And then it happens and then it, it's like you have to go through it twice or you worry right. about it and it doesn't happen. <laughs> then you still sort of went through it. I think for me, it's more that I worry that it's going to be like life changing. Like, I, f- I worry that it's going to be, like, that the situation will be so negative that I just can't get out of it. And um, I don't... When I'm stable, both feet on the ground, and I'm, like, in a relaxed environment, I'm able to tell myself, like, that's not going to happen. Nothing is insurmountable. You know, you can even you get hit by a car, you, you, you're going to you're going to move on, you know, Mm. like the worst that can happen is I die. And if I die, I fucking die. Like that's the end of it. You know, I won't be worried about it anymore. (laughs) Everyone else will have to deal with it. Um, It's not anything I wish for, but I'm just like, I just know that like, it's, there's no mountain like too big, really, you know, like, and if it's big, then we'll just keep fucking climbing (laughs) because that's all I've done for the past decade, you know, and it's, I'm not tired yet. So All right. Thank you so much to uh Frank for coming by. Um, Fantastic. It's really really great. Check out um Frank Carter and the Rattlesnake's latest album, Modern Ruin. They're also touring a lot. Um so if they come to your town, they put on an amazing live show. And if you're in the UK, maybe maybe Frank will tattoo you. Uh-huh. I don't know. I never know. If you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah, you'd have to ask him. Don't ask us. (laughs) We're just doing a podcast. I'm sure he would. Yeah, he probably would. Yeah, why not? Um, Just mention us. Mention going off track. Yeah, mention going off track. Do you want to get the going off track logo tattooed on you and be the first person to do it? Wait, no one's done that yet? Yeah, believe it or not, no one has gotten a going off track tattoo. I always feel responsibility at saying things like that. What do you mean? You know, somebody's going to do it and we're going to change the logo. (laughs) <laughs> i always i always worry i never got a band tattoo because i was always like what if the band starts to suck <laughs> you know That's good thinking unless it's, you know or what now it's like what if the band reunites and they suck and then like isn't that band you have that tattoo of and you're like yeah but when i liked then i got the tattoo they were like <laughs> my mind has always worked that way and that's why you'll notice there's no ink on this skin it's even using tattoos right i do yeah i do I no can't. band tattoos. No band tattoos. No band affiliation. Yeah. Yeah. But even, what if, even boy bands? That's the secret. Yeah. One. <laughs> but what if that flying li- that flying lion on your back starts to suck? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point, Brad. You're screwed. <laughs>
I don't know. I've done. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna. It's the end of the podcast. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> jump in details. here. I'm gonna jump in here. Um, if you love this interview and and this uh, witty banner at the end, please <laughs> donate. Uh, you can donate a Venmo at Off Track. That'll go straight to Brad, our uh, resident accountant. You and can you know, also- here's the deal: if you don't love it, you know what you get to do when you send money with Venmo. You get to comment on it, uh, so you can say, "Hey, here's." Here's 10 bucks. Don't ever fucking talk like that again yeah. at the end of the podcast. Send Brad some money via Venmo <laughs> and just send the shit emoji. <laughs> and be like, this is what I think of you shit, guys. Shit, sad face, <laughs> yeah. crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or the snowflake emoji for Brad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Uh, um yeah <laughs> so uh if you don't want to send bread the snowflake emoji uh you can uh you, you could subscribe to us you if you subscribe. haven't already you could leave it us means an, a lot leave us a nice five-star review and some comments on itunes there's a lot you can do to support this podcast um but yeah thanks again to pulse music for having us thanks to frank carter for coming by and doing such an awesome job and uh we'll be back next week with another episode bye 